Welcome to Signal Black, a Darker Days series introducing and exploring the numerous Chronicles of Darkness second edition settings currently developed by Onyx Path Publishing. In this series, the hosts of Darker Days, along with side some uh, Onyx Path writers, will discuss the settings and basic mechanics of uh, each game, highlight the types of characters you can play, and explore the role-playing experiences each game provides. So, uh, of course, I am Mike, one of the hosts of uh, Darker Days Radio. And joining me is, of course, Chris Handley, another host of Dark Days Radio. Hello. And uh, for our Onyx Path writer of this episode, we have Chris Allen. How's it going, Chris? Hello. Yeah, it's going well. Uh, just a quick apology. I am using a laptop from my lap, so I do apologize if the camera is a bit wobbly. No, man. People love shaky cam in movies these days, <laughs> so it's all good. It's, it's all good. a horror movie in the making, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, Chris, you have a ton of experience, um, and you actually have been on some Darker Days projects in the past, but I yes. think it's your first time on for, like, a, a full interview episode. Unless maybe you did something that's, like, maybe Dragon Con uh, Chris or uh, sorry, has... uh, UK Games Ooh. Expo in the past. Yeah, Chris has done some... Well, uh, I've been with Chris for some interviews, um, right. often not, not just me, generally, often with someone else like Dave Brookshaw indeed, indeed. Uh, or Matthew Dawkins. Great. So why don't we uh, just get a little bit of street cred from you, Chris, about uh, what kind of writing you've done and uh, what games you're, uh, you're into? Okay. Well, I mean, it all starts back in the uh, early 2000s, uh, where I did a bit of D20 work and then uh, joined Mongoose Publishing for a little while as an editor and oh, then a contributor cool. on the miniatures war game design side there. Um, I sort of came back into the industry in terms of writing about 2014, uh, when I joined um, the team designing uh, Wealth of Sake and Second Edition. And uh, since then, you know, I've been involved in most of the second editions of Chronicles of Darkness games. Uh, I've done a little bit of writing for uh, Vampire Fifth Ed. Uh, I've done work on the various Trinity story path systems for Onyx Path, like um, Trinity Continuum, Eon, Aberrant. Uh, and I've done some work outside of Onyx Path for a few other companies as well. Uh, places like uh, Paleo Gaming's forthcoming Omega Horizon sci-fi game uh, and a folk horror role-playing game, the forthcoming Solemn Vale as well. Um, yeah, awesome. I've done a little bit of fiction writing as well around the edges. I recently uh, had the first uh, novella I've done published, which is a tie-in with Trinity, uh, the Eon Continuum, uh, Trinity Continuum Eon, uh, called Meridian. Uh, and yeah, a few other bits and pieces like that. Outstanding. Well, we're glad to have you here uh, with your Werewolf the Forsaken experience, because that is what we're going to be talking about today. So let's just dive into the Signal Black for Werewolf the Forsaken with a quick little pitch about what the game is. In Werewolf the Forsaken, you play a werewolf, a being which is uh, half human, has half a human soul and half of a wolf soul. And this allows your character to walk as a normal human, but also step into the spirit world and interact with that giving it a very shamanistic and spiritual element, animist element to the game. Uh, in the spirit world, you can communicate with spirits, ghosts, demons, for example. And of course, uh, you can transform both in the spirit world and in the real world, mortal world, into a wolf, a large wolf man, or anything in between, giving you a uh, ferocious ability to hunt. 
And that is, in a nutshell, what Werewolf is and what you get to play as. So let's dive in a little bit deeper into uh, what you can play in, uh, in Werewolf Forsaken. So you are, of course, werewolves, uh, sometimes called Uratha, which is, uh, there's a whole lexicon of like the, uh, the first tongue in this game, uh, which is pretty interesting. But everything also has other names as well. Uh, except for the auspices, I guess. But well, the auspices just they just have full moon or whatever is that. You oh, exactly. That makes like. that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, as well, the werewolves are called Uratha. They're also called the Forsaken. And uh, in the past, they took over the ancient duties of Father Wolf, and uh, now patrol the gauntlets between the spirit world, also called the shadow, and the mortal world, uh, ensuring that harmony uh, exists in between the two. Uh, usually through rather violent hunts, but not always as well. There can be definitely a, a diplomatic element. And of course, the reason why these werewolves are called Forsaken is because their ancestors were the wolves that killed Father Wolf uh, because he was getting old and sick and could no longer lead the hunt, which is a very interesting uh, little background element that kind of establishes some other things in the setting, which I'm sure we'll discuss as we go. So... What can you play? Well, there's two core elements when you make your Forsaken character. Uh, the first that we were just talking about is the Auspice. Uh, and this is kind of the phase of the moon that your uh, werewolf is associated with. Uh, and it represents their natural born affinities for hunting in the spirit world and also in the, uh, the real world as well. Auspices can uh, be a little strange to justify uh, as like an acting society, but they make sense as a series of positions that kind of dictate how the Uratha, you know, interact with or police the spirits. And uh, to help people out with the auspices, uh, I'll try to, like, include some story ideas at the bottom um, and, and later on in the show, just kind of, like, explain and show how these different auspices can be used. So, all right, uh, Chris, I'm probably going to need some help with the pronunciations <laughs> here because um, mm -hmm. I think there used to be actual pronunciation guides in the first edition. I didn't see it in the second edition as I was going through. I, th I think you might be right. I th I'm not sure the pronunciations are in the in the second edition. Okay. But I'm going to pronounce the first one as Kahalith. So the Kahalith uh, is the gibbous moon, yes. Indeed, indeed. And these are the storytellers and lore keepers, kind of visionaries and prophets of each pack. And the uh, Kaolith uh, participate in the hunt uh, to help remember and weave the tales of the pack and the individuals. And uh, they also kind of track the oral history of the Uratha. So being as this is a society, a very, very loose society that exists between these different forsaken werewolves and the Uratha, this oral history is really how most things are recounted and how everything is remembered. So that makes them a, a pretty crucial member of the pack. And also gives a... Uh, in some ways, I think they can kind of give like a moral grounding to the pack itself. Would you uh, both Chris's agree with that? Um, yeah, they they do serve as one of the two, uh, well, three really main roles that uh, can be a spine to the pack, if you like. The, the Gibbs Moon is often the one who should theoretically um, have the, the wisdom and knowledge from what has come before uh, to, to draw on and provide that to their fellows, uh, to provide their fellows with um, a semblance of support um, and inspiration in particular. Um, that's obviously not all they're about, um, but there is certainly that, that element to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. 
And then next up, we have the Elodoth. <clears throat> These are the diplomats and uh, the kind of arbiters of the group. And they're the quintessential uh, wolf in sheep's clothing, able to negotiate with spirits, mortals, and other beings of the Chronicles of Darkness. Um, but as always, the uh, the wolf must hunt, and the Elodoth can act as really a judge, jury, and executioner, enacting harsh reprisals with you know both fang and claw. So this is really... Uh, has, it's kind of the social character in some ways. It definitely has a lot of gifts, which will uh, gifts for people that are new to uh, Werewolf the Forsaken are really a lot of your cool powers. Basically, you get them from the spirits and from uh, from the moon as well. They have a lot of uh, each each auspice has specific uh, gifts associated with their phase of the moon that uh, usually only they get, um, and they have a lot of things that help with uh, with social interaction, which gives them uh, a lot of advantages there. Uh, moving on from there, uh, just to kind of pan through a couple of these uh, auspices, we've got the Iraka, which are these stealthy scouts and spies. Uh, you'll see this in pretty much all of the Chronicles of Darkness games. There's always that stealthy splat, which uh, I always yes. enjoy seeing, like mm -hmm. the um, the Mechat in uh, uh, Vampire, for example. Uh, and they are excellent at flushing out prey, uh, using their hand senses and gifts uh, to find offending spirits. Uh, and they can do a lot of things. They can they can kind of blend in. They can do reconnaissance. Um, and probably more than other auspices, they can also hunt on their own using kind of standalone tactics, which I think makes them stand out as well. Uh, for the fourth auspice, we have the Ithayer. Hopefully, Chris. It's Ithayer or Ithayer. There's various pronunciations. Like, <laughs> Fair enough. Exactly how you okay. So I'm going to go with Ithar. Ithar, uh, they're the occultists and spirit handlers. Uh, Ithar are the, uh, the most shamanistic of all the Uratha werewolves. And while every werewolf has the gifts and such, the uh, Ithar use, um, use these and their ritual rites to commune with spirits and even harness some of the spirits' kind of ephemeral uh, abilities. So that is where they kind of stand out is they get, well, they can influence or even, I think they can even control uh, some spirits for a limited amount of time, which is uh, pretty neat and useful. Uh, and for the final one, we have the Rahu, uh, which are the warriors. Okay, so every single werewolf is a hunter, and that's really one of the standout things in Werewolf Second Edition is that uh, that theme that the wolf must hunt. But the uh, the Rahu are the the type of hunter who lands that final decisive blow. You know, while the rest of the pack may be harrying or you know nipping at the heels of whatever prey it might be. They're the one that really goes in there and you know goes for the neck, for example. And um, they're interesting as well because as the Uratha become more and more threatened by the, uh, say, the gnawing rat hosts of the uh, Beshalu or the inscrutable pure werewolves. Um, the Rahu are you know increasingly kind of militarized. That's something you kind of see in some of the source books as well, um, especially like the war with the pure, for example. And that's the five uh, auspices, and they're all you know mapped to different phases of the moon. Uh, you know, uh, Rahu, we just mentioned, they're the full moon, for example, and we have you know Gibeous moon, crescent moon, etc., half moon. Um, and fans of Exalted, I think, will kind of recognize the uh, kind of similarities between these and the solar exalts, which are that really struck me as I was going back through, where they all kind of have these specific jobs. But you know. More so than Exalted, I feel like the um, different auspices, uh, they really just pertain to your interaction with spirits and the pack. It's not really like your job in a 
werewolf society, for example. So you can definitely have characters that um, branch out from their, uh, say, the real world job, which is something that you might have to deal with in a werewolf game, uh, and the uh, the auspice itself. You know, I was just thinking about things like, you know, you could have a Rahu who in their mortal life is just a janitor, basically, you know, which might just give them a lot of access to, uh, if maybe they're a night janitor, they could just sneak off and go on the hunt and then get back to, you know, do whatever they have to, you know, replacing a, uh, uh, you know, sump pump or something. Um, or you could have a Araka that's something very mundane, just maybe like a, a real estate agent. Um, I really think that werewolves would, you know, just from a just from a story background standpoint, I don't know if you guys agree with this, uh, if they have more freeform jobs without like a, a set structure or something like that, that definitely allows them to interact a lot more uh, with, uh, you know, the Chronicles Darkness at large. Yeah. It's very much trade-off. Uh, in the first big uh, Forsaken Chronicle I ran in first edition, uh, the pack Rahu, the full moon, was a lawyer, um, which both had great advantages for the pack and great disadvantages for mm. the pack, um, and for him personally at times, when, you know, uh, both as a werewolf in a courtroom, trying not to uh, lose his temper, uh, but also in terms of the opportunities it opened up for the enemies of the pack to try and strike at them with different avenues. Mm -hmm. um, you're right that generally the more sort of freeform jobs or jobs that are easier to uh, cloak wealth activities under um, uh, will make things easier for the pack. But yeah. as the trade-off, some of those jobs which are more um, limiting can come with better advantages uh, in terms of supporting the pack outside of its actual yeah, contacts, contacts and the like. Yeah, yeah, when I played Werewolf, I was a uh, private investigator, right? Yeah. Which is pretty easy for any role-playing game to be, but uh, yeah, it definitely worked out well. Uh, Works very well for werewolves as well, who are very good at it. Yeah. Uh, and it's one I've seen up coming up in a few chronicles as someone you know choosing yep. that as the, the background. All right, good. I'm, I'm glad my my character concept is so original. <laughs> All right, so so uh, for Chris Allen here, got one big question for you, philosophical mm -hmm. question: Is it okay if your werewolf pack doesn't have every auspice in it? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, the auspices are different approaches to the hunt essentially is how we sort of refined them in second ed um mm -hmm. they all come with different sets of tools uh most gifts can be accessed by most wolves more or less easily the mm -hmm. the auspice gifts less so but you know every wolf pack can fight regardless of right. if any of them are full moons mm -hmm. every wolf pack can negotiate with spirits regardless of if any of them are crescent moons um what it does is it gives you real strengths across the board, across the full spectrum of approaches if you have all of them. But if you don't have all of them, there's no there's no problem in setting. You know, there's no uh, many, many packs that have multiples of one auspice or or none of an auspice, um, and it's no problem out of character in you know from an external meta side either. Um, the pack will do just fine. Obviously, if you have multiples of the same auspice in a pack, you're probably going to want to look at how to design your characters so that they. Um, in complement each other rather than necessarily stepping on each other's toes um so you can sort of share the spotlight round with what you know with moment to moment play and, and in the group but yeah absolutely you can you can have all manner of stacks stacking up of different auspices or you can have everyone with the same auspice it's going to get a bit strange uh and your group is going to be a hammer looking for a nail if they are all full moons for example yeah. um no i was just that thinking can, that could be I, I, fun yeah, I was just thinking, Chris. You know, maybe like a uh, Elodoth. Everyone plays. Everyone plays an Elodoth, and you're like a, a werewolf law firm, for example. It could work. It could be <laughs> yeah, a thing. Yeah. You know? um, and one thing as well, 
is that which we're going to get to is the tribes encourage different approaches yes. so a uh, we'll get to that in a moment but for example you know a, your blood talon uh, full moon is your classic you know ravening front frontline warrior right. bone shadow full moon may be a you know a, a spirit warrior someone who is very much about combat but learning eldritch and occult approaches to it um you know that still weird out the other werewolves um so that is another layer of how to uh complement each other within the pack and you know have yeah. different or uh, same auspice in different forms yeah and i think it is a great time to start talking about the uh the tribes a little bit yeah uh because you know we discussed the auspice which is really kind of how the the werewolf was born we we can say but the tribe is really what they get to choose. So, Chris, do you want to uh, cover yeah, that? Yeah, sure. Chris, I was gonna, I was just gonna finish off with the fact that, again, for for people that are new to this, is that the auspices, you know, again, if you've played other games that have classes or things like that, again, you're gonna build your character first as a human, so they're gonna have a job, a life, a profession. So that combined with the auspice, combined with tribe gives you enough variety should give you enough variety um so you have that so that should break up and make you know duplications of a particular auspice or or the lack of a particular auspice not a hindrance really uh if anything more of an opportunity to explore those elements more deeply uh but tribes yes yeah. so tribes i would say are a you know when you read them they're a philosophy to how you hunt. Um, they're not tied to any particular region, ethnic group, or religion. Uh, if you are obviously familiar with another game that begins with werewolf, uh, which uh, <laughs> we uh, we have to acknowledge is out there, um, and is this is obviously a spiritual successor remix of. Um, we don't have those issues, um, which is which is a good thing as well. I will say uh, personally, it is a good thing we don't have that. So each tribe is tied to a uh, a totem spirit, one of the the first pack of Father Wolf. So these are great wolf spirits, and that again gives them access to particular gifts and gives them their kind of philosophy of hunting. So the tribes we have. And this is going to be very brief, just to give you a flavour of them, because there is more to them. Each tribe has, uh, in the book, I'm going to hold this up, Whoa, you can't really see, but basically has also a list of myths. So we don't have a singular monomyth. We have multiple myths within the society of the Aratha about you know where the tribe comes from, or who Father Wolf was, or and, and so forth. So... That also adds some mystery uh, to the game and some, you know, points of discussion between the players. Sorry, the Blood Talents. They hunt other werewolves. That is their particular specialisation. And of course, those other werewolves could be rogue packs of um, of their own kin, of the Forsaken. But also, predominantly, the Pure Tribes, who are also uh, werewolves who are not blessed by Luna with gifts because of the... Um, what's happened within the long history of werewolves so the blood talents focus on hunting other werewolves but that means that they're very martial they're very they have to be precise and that i guess that comes from the fact that if you're going to hunt other werewolves you're hunting a pack and that means there are within a pack there's going to be people who are specialists people whose uh, abilities complement someone else so 
Blood Talons have the philosophy that you have to pick that apart, almost in a very surgical way, in order to br bring your prey down. Uh, then we have the Bone Shadows. Their preference of hunting is spirits and ephemeral beings. So that also covers uh, things like ghosts, um, other types of spirits which come from other realms that aren't the Shadow or the Hissel. Uh, and so they have to understand how those spirits are able to reach across from other realms and interact with ours and how our world interacts with those other realms because a spirit will act through reaching through finding resonances so that means a bone shadow has to be quite aware in a, in a more holistic sense of what's going on in the world around them in order to figure out why things are going wrong and track down these beings that are not tangible uh, entities then and also related to that that means they're going to also if you're fighting spirits in that sense you're going to be looking for their weaknesses like bands and that also goes across onto things like ghosts where you're going to find their weakness which will be a um uh not a fetter an anchor or some such hunters in the darkness uh hunters in darkness sorry uh they hunt the host so they hunters and Dark hunter and darkness have this philosophy that they need to also uh, maintain their territory but that kind of makes sense when you consider their predominant prey which is the the host so these are uh, the shard spirits so they were once great spirits like father wolf that have been broken down into these small uh smaller spirits that if they conglomerate and grow and spread become more dangerous foes and the reason why they protect the territory and focus in that way is if you're going to defeat the uh, Azlu or Barshos, the rat hosts or the spider hosts or other hosts, there are other ones in other books, you need to not just kill one, you need to obliterate, you need to basically purge the area. And so that's why they're quite bothered yeah. by um, how they protect their territory and how they zone in and, and herd the enemy into a kill zone and take them out that way. Uh, then we have the Iron Masters. Uh, they focus on humans. And you might go, why humans? Well, humans are creatures that, while they don't have a spiritual reflection in the Hissel, they do things which cause the balance between the spirit world and our world to go off. And that's what causes spirits to go mad and you get spirits spilling over so there again i think they kind of work quite well in tandem with the uh with the bone shadows in that sense but that also means eye masters take it upon themselves to go after the other human looking enemies which aren't spirits so we're talking your vampires we're talking your mages your changelings your prometheans etc because those bastards will do things for their own machinations and that will cause again an imbalance in the spirit realm so you know if your vampires predating on a particular place that's going to cause uh, a particular essence to grow of murder and blood and there's going to be spirits feeding upon that and soon enough you've got a spirit that's breaching into our world that is made of knives then we have storm lords so they hunt a particular amalgam of spirit and human Called the ridden or spirit claim so what happens is that a spirit will possess someone and if they hold on to them long enough there's a merger that occurs so they're in 
some ways a perverse reflection of what a werewolf is, which is also an amalgam of a wolf spirit and a human. It also means you don't know who they are if they're still in that just a human doing weird things. They could be anyone. So there's a bit of nice overlap with the Iron Masters in that sense as well, and with the Bone Shadows. And because of this, the Stormlords are quite cautious and aware of what they're hunting. They have to be, they have to really almost be pinpoint accurate on who it is and what's going on before they move in because you know the also that spirit could hop to another person and you want to catch it before it even does that and then finally we have ghost wolves so that's not that's really where you've got a werewolf that's not belonging to a tribe and therefore their philosophy of their hunt is perhaps more personal now Personal, that may mean in a broad sense, like they just hate vampires and they want to take them all out for whatever personal reason. Or they're rather focused and they're going after a particular person or organisation. And so that's what frames their hunt. And that's the tribes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they're all really strong in second edition. Uh, you know, the change to make them focus on a particular thing that they do hunt is uh, just ingenious, really good. Uh, one thing I do want to bring up with the ghost wolves is, um, I don't think it's really in the books, but the way I've always seen it is they can also function as like kind of a period of transition between, you know, mm. for, as a werewolf kind of moves from one tribe to the other, especially that makes sense in second edition as they kind of change their, their kind of philosophies and, and hunting styles. That's a really good way to just model uh, that kind of transition state uh, for them. And I was going to say, it's like with with um, the tribes, again, I guess you can quite happily have all members of the pack be a member of a tribe. That represents the fact they've all been brought up within a particular philosophy. Or at some point, you know, you, I guess, you know, pack members will have perhaps been indoctrinated into a pack at one point through a philosophy. And then at a later date, they have left said pack because it broke down or they were expected to leave and join a new pack um i don't know chris um yeah. your opinions then on on tribe mix you know mixes of tribes of the game and how that really i guess works for players yeah i think the assumption uh generally is that a pack is going to have multiple tribes represented in it um, they are not allegiances or factions in a conventional form. Like you say, they're more like philosophies, uh, different philosophies within a broader church, essentially. Um, and while uh, and, uh, Wells are often drawn to them personally for specific reasons, because the philosophy of the hunt that that uh, tribe embodies appeals to them. So they might think the martial uh, brotherhood of blood talents and the militaristic approach they espouse is is what they how they think it should be done or they may be coming to it for personal reasons so it might be that you know another a werewolf killed their family so they think the most dangerous and prey is werewolves we've got to stop them or it may be because they're about personal goals a werewolf might believe that the only other prey ever worth really bothering with that's worth glory in any way is a werewolf because all other prey pales in comparison so they choose the blood talents because they think that's really their their goal their ambition the thing they want to do is fight the biggest prey and who, who's bigger than a, a werewolf as it were who's more important than the werewolf um what that means is that generally inside a pack you'll have all the different characters with their different agendas their different backgrounds the different viewpoints will suit different tribes in different ways and while not every pack is going to be a kind of rainbow spectrum of different tribes it's very common 
that there is a mixture of tribes in the pack in the setting, especially because to a certain extent within um, Forsaken society, there is an understanding that these tribes are almost, um, they make you a specialist in the thing. They make you really good at some stuff. So uh, if there is serious spirit shenanigans going on, sure, every wolf can kind of deal with that, but you probably want to look to the bone shadows for guidance because they're the spooky bastards who know the best about what the hell's going on. You know, um, if you want to deal with a host infestation, the hunters in darkness are the ones with the best tricks for how to nail the bastards down, corral them up and kill them all off without any escaping. Um, one thing, and again, we'll touch on this in a moment, the lodges. Uh, lodges um, changed a lot in one of these supply, uh, supplements for second ed, um, uh, the, the pack, which I'll get to when we get to that section. But those are more like even more focused specializations of the same thing. Um, so from that point of view, you know, in the setting, while on the one hand, people will naturally grab, you know, you might find in a pack, they're only gravitating to one or two tribes in general, and that's fine. Um, you know, that kind of mixing is, it's fine. There's no problem with mixed tribes. There's no expectation of single tribe packs. Uh, and from a meta point of view, playing the game, having that mixture on the one hand gives the pack more tools for dealing with the hunt. Um, but also when you have overlap inside the pack, if you have two people who are blood talons, um, then the differences between them in how they interpret that philosophy can be important. Um, if you have two blood talons in a pack where the rest are iron masters, you know, those two guys are probably more likely to have one another's back in certain strategic things where it comes down to certain bits of pack tactics. But at the same time, they might also... Um, great against one another in 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 the hows and whys of why they chose to be blood talents indeed indeed the other great thing about uh how the tribes are set up now is that as a player it gives you a way to kind of tell your storyteller what you want to see in the game yeah, um absolutely. you know you know if you're really interested in fighting against the pure that sort of thing or dealing with even just the social aspects of dealing with the pure uh you know making your character into a blood talent and kind of putting that you know, bold underline right there and talk to your storyteller about it is a great way to kind of uh, influence where the game is going. And then if you're a storyteller running uh, World of the Forsaken, uh, this also gives you an opportunity to player that maybe isn't uh, getting enough interaction, that sort of thing. You know, yeah. if you have a quiet player who is um, always dealing with, let's say, uh, who, who is a, um, let's say, a Stormlord, dealing with Ridden and uh, and the spirits, well, then you have one of those kinds of uh, antagonists show up, and then they have the most tools to interact with it. So it's just yeah. really good all around. Cool. So uh, should we talk about lodges a little bit? Uh, I was just going to finish that there's obviously okay. one prey we haven't spoken of uh, as we went through those, because there's one prey which doesn't fit any of the tribes. Oh. Uh, which I'm trying to remember what they're called, what the, what the term is. I know what they are. Gam? <laughs> the Idgum, yes. Um, which is, I guess, the default chronicle setup for second edition. Yes, the, 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 it was um, obviously the way that the books were being titled changed a bit earlier yeah. on, but yes, it was the, it's the, the Idgam chronicle. Uh, and so, um, I guess we can talk, we're going to talk about that when we talk about the spirit adversaries because. The Idigum are completely bonkers, mad creatures to to face. But yeah, like, what can we? What can we? Um, we're going on to. Are we going to say much more about lodges then, Mike? You've got a few that you want to well, pick out, I guess. Yeah, I think it's just good to highlight. And uh, I haven't read the pack, so uh, well, Chris, you can you can give us give us an update. I don't think yeah. right. Let's see if my my original definition here that I had written down is still still holds true. But kind of regional. Yeah. 
you know, regionalized organizations that Urratha characters may belong to. And uh, these lodges are usually for specific auspices. Uh, others are for specific tribes and some are just unaffiliated. So kind of just a catch-all of mechanical benefits if you want to join one of these lodges and, uh, you know, go with their philosophy. Does that still hold true in uh, the pack? Some of it, yes. Okay. What we did in the pack is we got to the fundamentals of what makes a lodge a lodge. Um, in first edition, they were quite all over the place uh, in yeah. terms of oh, yeah. um, cons not just concept, but in terms of what they were fundamentally. Uh, sometimes there was a bit of an issue of the lodge of what I was going to do anyway, uh, by which I mean they felt sometimes they felt a bit like prestige classes. You know, I'm right. a very strong warrior, so I'm going to join this pack. Uh, lodge, sorry, not pack. Now, um, in second ed, while we were doing the design of the core book, I had some very strong ideas about what lodges should probably be, but there wasn't the time or space to really explore that in the core, uh, and I wasn't working on that particular bit. The first supplement of the pack was when I was let off the leash and allowed to do what I wanted. So um, what lodges have become in second edition is they are refinements of the hunt, and they are cults. Very specifically, they are those oh, yeah. two things together. Um, lodges are not normal. They're not sane, healthy, or balanced in any way. They're, that doesn't mean they're they're evil or wrong necessarily, but they are always kind of weird. Because if you are joining a lodge, you are joining a fraternity of uh, werewolves who have pledged themselves to yet another spirit lord um, to refine the hunt further. Whether that is refining the nature of the prey or refining the method of the hunt, um, they always have secrets. They always have things they don't want outsiders to know. Mm -hmm. They are lodges, they're not open fellowships, they're picky, they're selective, they're weird. At the same time, they, some of them have a role in Aratha society. For example, mm -hmm. the Lodge of Death, um, who deal who particularly focus on undead uh, as prey, um, they are often also viewed as priests uh, to by other Aratha, specifically referring to death and things around that. You know, mm -hmm. To some extent, they are tolerated in terms of their dealings with the dead because they're the ones who you really who you want most to be dealing with one of your fallen kindred for example the lodge of garm who are particularly vicious killers are also the best at hunting elder pure uh, the most terrifying pure uh, werewolves that's what they have focused on they will live and they will die dueling the the greatest pure they can find um but that wins them a certain amount of respect in wider society for their expertise and their specialization um what they what we've scrapped largely is we ditched the idea of um auspice and tribe affiliations some okay. lot lots of lodges have predominant uh, recruitment from a given tribe so the lodge of death largely recruits from the bone shadows but they also recruit from blood talons uh, for example in some parts of eastern europe if you look at werewolf legends they are heavily tied up in vampire legends to the point where a vampire um, is what you get when a werewolf dies and the, the remains aren't dealt with appropriately. So you have a bunch of blood talents who believe that is essentially the case and that vampires crop up because of problems with werewolves, in fact. Um, you, you get that kind of mesh, meshing and, and mingling. But they are, they're these, they are these transgressive cults. Um, they are full of secrets they want to hide, but in return you get power. They are full of new... Um, limited you willingly take on spirit bands and you willingly take on the duty to a new brotherhood of, of werewolves 
uh, in return for their expertise, their tools, and the and greater spiritual power for the purpose you want. So they're not exactly a devil's bargain, but they are much more involved in the setting, much more involved in the obligations you take on to spirit and werewolf, uh, and they're a bit more anchored and concrete than they used to be uh, in that respect, and more part of a horror game than uh, being prestige glasses, if, if you get what I mean. Yep. Cool. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, and that's a huge improvement. That's really exciting to hear about. Um, there are a lot of really cool lodges in first edition, but there's also some ones that don't have, they're kind of bland, you know? Um, so definitely having those kind of secrets and uh, further integration, I think is really good. Um, to kind of play off of the two lodges that you just mentioned, um, I did find two that I really liked um, as I was going back through. One is the Lodge of the Praetor. This is from first edition again, so it will probably change. But they're kind of these uh, uh, packs which are extrajudicial, and they travel through different territories, and they go around judging other Uratha. Um, and that means they might aid a pack that they think is good and maybe is struggling in some ways. But if they found them wanting, they might punish them or even just try to kill the other pack. So I think that's pretty interesting. And uh, the Lodge of the Carrion is another pretty cool one, um, which is patronized by the Hungry Buzzard. Uh, and these are kind of scavengers and opportunists that look for dead loci, which are the places of power where um, werewolves usually congregate. And they try to find ancient relics, fetishes, and the like, or forgotten access to the spirit world. And they strip what they can find, and then they move on. Um, so what I kind of want to highlight with this and what uh, Chris was talking about is that there's a there's over 100 lodges at this point. There's tons of them. Um, and they have a lot of extra optional ideas for Werewolf the Forsaken, uh, both as a player and as a storyteller. Because as a storyteller, you can use a lot of these as inspiration for antagonist Forsaken themselves, which I think is definitely a cool way to go. Awesome. Anything else for lodges? Um, not really. I think that covers it. The only thing I would say, another thing in second ed, is that Lodges is also a, a bit of design space we've used to expand much more out into uh, werewolves who do not belong to the two main factions, the Pure and the Forsaken. Mm. Uh, it, the pack, for example, holds uh, Lodges for the Eaters of the Dead, who are a ghost wolf lodge, and okay. for the Temple of Apollo, who are also a ghost wolf lodge, who may be worshipping an evil spirit in the sun. Um uh, they uh, and they start going down because lodges can do weirder stuff now because of the way they're they're built um they serve as quite a good um infra sort of structure spine to build ghost wolf stories around because you can have okay. ghost wolves who are just independent wolves but you can have these groups who aren't one of the two known groups with weird powers to, and weird agendas showing up very interesting very very neat i like it i like it a lot so let's talk about what you can do and again, the, the overriding principle of World of Forsaken 2nd Edition is that the wolf must hunt. So let's talk about hunting spirits and hunting hosts. So, you know, werewolves have territory. We'll kind of talk about territory as a game concept a little bit later. But uh, usually uh, what you hunt is the, uh, the primary thing you're going to be dealing with. For the hosts, there's two key ones that are in the, uh, the core rulebook and have been in 1st Edition and 2nd Edition. And that is, uh, of course, the, uh, uh, the Beshalu which are the rat hosts. And these were formed um, in the very early world after the Uratha shattered the, uh, the rat king. And his shards still exist, basically as the, uh, the Beshalu, these horrific rats that would be crawling under human skin, uh, growing inside of people, and then seeking to, well, after they burst out of a person, 
seeking to combine the shards once more and try to recreate that uh, that rat king. And uh, these rat hosts are they're they're sentient. You know, there is a way for Uratha to interact with them, but there are these kind of kind of a chaotic chittering horde, uh, you know, bursting forth from those uh, mortal hosts. Um, and they're very fractious, right? They have these kind of like heresies and other disagreements that kind of exist in between them, which gives you some space to kind of deal with different forms of this this rat host. They're very um, they're very skaven. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, There's quite gonna... a bit of skaven horror. Like, let's be honest. If we just to, as a tangent, like skaven can be shown as being quite comedic enemies, but having written for a particular book where they were the antagonists, the aim was to actually also make sure skaven rat men. Yeah. Are scary. Like the very essence of what a rat is, like the things we think the horrific elements of rats, like cannibalistic and uh you know, eking out an existence in filth. And when you combine that with mutation, which I think the uh Bechelou have that good element of where you sure. combine rat Absolutely. elements with people and I guess that gets you into things like other bits of cinema and media where you've got anthropomorphic rat people. Um they're creepy as fuck. Um, I they do are. like the idea of people like antagonists being that have been hollowed out by the Bechelou spirits, and they're basically walking skin sacks filled with filled with rats, or is a walking skin sack with with a merged big rat spirit creature thing? Um, that's particularly gross. Um, and their thing is like they're gnaw they gnaw at the wall between worlds. They're weakening yep. the wall between our world and the Hissle, which of course then causes all other madness to to spill out into our world. Yeah, absolutely. So they are they're a real a real hassle for the Uratha, right? Because they want to try to keep things pretty stable. Um, that's kind of their purpose and their their calling from uh, from the moon itself. And yeah. The chaos and destruction of the uh, Bechelou really is a problem for them, a huge nuisance. Um, as well, kind of the opposite of the uh, the Bechelou are the Aslu, which are these small little spiders which might just crawl down your throat at night and then maybe get up through your nasal passageways into your brain and start eating away, then slowly consume you and eventually turn you and maybe some other people as well into a... Um, giant spider creature uh which kind of weaves its uh metaphysical webs uh to strengthen strengthen the gauntlet which actually can be a problem you know fewer spirits are getting through uh but that can also limit the urathas access to the spirit world which they you know need to get to uh quite often uh and it could be limiting that access at very inopportune times as well which is definitely a good way to leverage the aslu as a storyteller um and to make matters worse, these giant eventually the Aslu will probably be like a giant car-sized spider that exists somewhere in your city, out in the woods, in a cave, wherever it may be, and uh, it needs to constantly eat humans. Um, so that's not good either, and that can definitely upset the spirit world as well with all of the uh, death going on every single night. So it's the uh, the Bechelou and the Aslu, um, which uh, I've always thought of as like the coolest antagonist. Oh, I like the Pure too. There's a lot of great antagonists in, in any werewolf game, um, but those two always really stood out to me as uh, being very well defined. 
um, for the werewolf game and uh, just very easy to use as a, a kind of long-term or mid-term antagonist for a chronicle. Um, and aside from the hosts, uh, we of course have other spirits uh, and we have the written, which could be you know, individuals that are possessed uh, by spirits and other things. And, you know, traditional spirits in the game can be all sorts of manifestations. You know, werewolf is in animistic games. That means that every, everything has a spirit associated with it somehow. Um, so you could have spirits of ideas or, or concepts or memories in some ways. For example, like uh, you have a spirit that's a manifestation of a serial killer's murders. Or if you want to crossover, Chris, it could be the manifestation of a slasher's murders from uh, Hunter the Vigil, which could be pretty fun. You can have the personification of pollution, or you could even have the spirit of filthy bus stops in your game or something like that. So it can go really all over the place. Um, and these spirits could be upset by, say, the, uh, the Aslu um, locking them on one side of the uh, spirit world and they can't get back. Or it could be uh, upset by some sort of a change that mortals are enacting in the world. And it's up to the Ratha to, uh, to help deal with these things. And I also like that, uh, actually, this is kind of harkening back to the, uh, to the Aslu um, and, and the Beshalu. We don't see, you know, tons of giant spiders running around and uh, chittering hordes of rats everywhere, which in the context of the Chronicles of Darkness seems to mean that the Ratha are doing a pretty good job. So <laughs> <laughs> I've always kind of enjoyed that. You know, people wonder like, well, what about the, what about the masquerade or the veil? You know, how, how are these things not spilling over? And it's like, oh, they're doing a good job. Okay, job. Which I've always kind of enjoyed. So, anything else with spirits or hosts from you two? Any kind of uh, highlights yeah. you want to bring forward from your own games? I or think like that? one of the things that really um, is important to how spirits work is that spirits are hungry. Uh, they are monomaniacal yeah. reflections of the real world and they are hungry. And how they feed is through resonance, um, which is what they are spirits of being reflected in the real world. So, a spirit of flame might be born by a fire in the real world and it then wants more fire if it doesn't get more fire it will slowly starve to death and this is one of the drivers why spirits war with each other they consume each other for resonance why they uh, don't like the uh, werewolves getting in their way stopping them feeding mm -hmm. on things they want to do and mm -hmm. why they want to get into the world of flesh the real world that fire spirit if it's surviving on a few trash can fires you know in some back alley it's not happy it's not fed it's weak it's feeble it wants to be strong it wants to sometimes maybe get into the real world possess somebody make them set fires so that it will be well fed sometimes spirits flee to the flesh world of flesh because of other spirits trying to eat them because there isn't enough food for the other spirits around so they may flee there but often they're coming over to meddle and they don't care about uh, they're not really able unless they're very powerful spirits to care about more moral concepts because they they're hungry they're the less lower spirits are quite simple even the more powerful spirits don't really understand why they shouldn't do what they do so from one of my games uh, an example is uh, one of the pack got very badly injured so badly injured that even their enhanced regeneration couldn't you know was struggling the pack needed their frontline fighter up and running again as quickly as possible so they went we should find a spirit of healing where will we find a spirit of healing in a hospital so they went to the shadow <laughs> reflection of a hospital the place was a war zone between the spirits of disease and plague and healing you know, spirits of surgical tools and fear and hope or absolute 
clusterfuck, but they eventually found the most powerful spirit in the hospital, which was the spirit of the hospital's healing. And um, and they they asked it. They said, "Great spirit, please help us. Please heal our pack mate." And the spirit considered it. And spirits have a thing. They can't do something for nothing. They're not able to do something for nothing. You must bargain with them. They're not capable of doing otherwise. And they say, "Well, what do you want to heal our pack mate?" And the spirit ponders and says, "I want you to go out and um, hospitalize a lot of humans." Hmm. Uh, I can't remember that number, but because a spirit of healing is nothing without injured people to heal. Um, so you have these spirits, even of supposedly benign concepts, who only care about that concept and its continuation. Spirits of joy who don't understand why possessing someone and driving them to heights of rapture could ever be a bad thing. Um, you know, they're spirits of murder who think murder is obviously just the best thing in the world and everyone should be murdering each other. Uh, and that's really where the conflict with spirits comes through. They are these alien beings that are reflections of the real world, but they want their thing above all else. I also really like the fact that um, spirit uh, spirit predation obviously follows natural cycles that we understand. So a fox spirit will feed upon prey spirits that a fox naturally hunts. But then you get the weird things when a powerful spirit decides to go, I'm hungry and so hungry that it feeds on spirits that it shouldn't be devouring. And yeah. so... Yeah. Yeah, when a car spirit goes off and devours, say, uh, let's just take, let's just like say a car spirit devours like the spirit of a lion because there's a zoo. That's not a natural um, cycle of how things should work, and so the the resultant spirit is a magoth, which is a horrific amalgam, and then that is going to lead to uh, you know imbalance in the spirit realm and thus in the the real world yeah yeah uh, something else that is worth noting people think about the the horror aspect of it sometimes people say what well, so you have these spirits they're all uh running around um and talking oh i think i might have just dropped off my video sorry can you hear me we can hear you don't worry yep okay yeah. uh, i'll press and see if i pop back up um you, do you do you have these spirits of talking cars going around isn't that a bit silly uh the way spirits appear is very symbolic and ephemeral um could be very weird um so you might have a, a car-like entity that is talking but it is as much beast as car you know with muscles of rippling piston uh grill teeth it may have looked more like something spider-like rattling along with an engine of uh, you know of monstrous proportions but the magath who occur when spirits eat one another shouldn't as you're saying i'll just look completely bananas they look absolutely weird and strange and bizarre because they are any given spirit you can usually look at it and even if it looks horrific and wrong you can you can understand what it's a spirit of but magath lose that kind of um definition to them and uh and violate sort of everything you violate the presence of the shadow around them because they're just not meant to be cool and then obviously we've got the pure which we're gonna you know looking at time we're gonna cover quite briefly so the pure essentially are the other werewolves uh, they're the larger faction. I remember in first edition they still are the larger faction. It's less defined. It's less sort of set in second edition. Yeah. They, they, in some places there are more of them. In some places there are less. It varies a lot. But because yeah. of the the history, mythology, and and so forth, they are while they're not forsaken as 
the as as the other werewolves are their 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 ties to um to lunar moon spirit is very different so they don't have access yeah. to certain gifts so that means because of their relationships it means they can they have a better kinship with spirits and that they're not forsaken by the other spirits because they don't align with killing father wolf but that also in terms means they don't get luna's blessings so again it's a philosophical thing really between them and the forsaken Mm. about where they fit in the world and if they have to keep the balance between the two worlds and how they interact with spirits yeah 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 um pure uh, fit a bit more closely some of your horror werewolf tropes um they they tend to be much more straightforward horror antagonists either because they don't care about all of the things that the forsaken will care about on their territory the people the communities uh, or because the agendas they are serving are so alien or monstrous so they're yeah. very much set to be antagonists and that's that's they're, they're quite creepy i mean one of them is also like almost evangelical kind of religion uh in in the way they operate and another one kind of just essentially revels in the pure horror of the spirit world and and being the monsters that they are so there's also quite a lot of there's there's broad themes to to explore in there so you also kind of get some ecclesiastical horror uh with respect to the mythology and faith of of werewolves and how they interact with um the spirits and father wolf and so forth and then i guess really quickly idigam because that's that that's obviously was a feature of second edition uh when it was the originally known as the idigam chronicle so idigam are the ancient spirits um like mega spirits we'll call them that were banished by father wolf to uh beyond earth so we're going to say lunar and possibly beyond um and they unlike other spirits have no set form they're they're rather chaotic in that sense and they didn't return to the world until basically they hitched a ride on spirits that were able to travel between the worlds so in other words rocket ships and you know uh, and uh satellites and so forth and now they're back on our world and they're causing hell because obviously father wolf isn't there to keep them in check and they don't follow the rules of other spirits as the aratha know them um so they are really quite um not Cronenberg. i was going to say you know you get the horror of like the thing and and so forth with them they they're very body horror shape-shifting and their weakness really comes into play when they do begin to coalesce on a particular form. Yeah, yeah. The the Idagam are um, one of the things the book does, which I, I'm careful to lay out in there, is that there's a lot of possibilities as to what they are, and no one actually knows. They may be literal raw chunks of creation that never coalesced into concepts. They may be proto spirits, or they may be proto wolves. Um, whatever they are, they are these twisting melanges of chaos. But when they enter the world again having been returned from their exile when they enter the world they have a pressure on them to coalesce into a into a form and that form generally makes no sense even even then it's generally warped and twisted they have bizarre powers as you said they don't follow the rules of the spirit world there's something from an older age um but 
they have and they're, because they're so powerful their specific weaknesses are very important and those are generally tied to the how and where of their coalescence um the place in the world they were when finally the, the metaphysical pressure from reality to be a thing rather than trying to be everything uh folded them into a single point but the problem is that unlike a lot of other spirits where the weaknesses are fairly easy to figure out like a fire spirit is probably you know vulnerable to water uh there's no simple answer like that for idigan it's very hard to find out their weaknesses yeah they're pretty it, because of that it makes them i think they are like a really strong enemy in uh, antagonist in second edition i think in first edition yeah a number of of entities like them oh, was it was it them or were they the i can't remember there was like the 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 worms the giant worm spirit in predators and there was one which was kind of like a, a gaseous kind of invisible mist type creature there were a few yeah. there um they're all quite varied i can't remember if they were idgum or they were basically just considered they were called something like there was a mix. There was there was Idigam, and then there were sort of ancient horrors that weren't quite understood. Yeah. Um, that's still the case in modern werewolf. There are weird things that don't easily fit into the werewolf cosmology. Um, but yeah, the Idigam now have been given much more prominence, um, given rules in the core, whereas in this first edition, it took them quite a long time to be given rules, even though they were mentioned as an element of the setting. Yeah. Um, whereas now we've we've put them front and center. Your Id- your Idigam is generally likely to be maybe a chronicle villain if you know what i mean not a minor thing you just kick a kick a kick the head in off it's going to be a big deal if it turns up you know they tend to be a bit like a natural disaster hitting in their impact they're always they're always significant yeah right uh i guess we then mike i guess we go into kind of like what we can explore and like really how a bit of how the game operates uh i know we're running a bit over time and i want to kind of wrap up so this isn't like exploring exploring uh thing but um i guess what make uh, this gets into what makes werewolf a bit more novel is that i would say there's a greater element there's there's a greater chance to explore and define the pack in second edition so it's not your just your your werewolves you play there are your kinfolk and other people that you consider part of your pack uh, and that can actually be quite broad and even encompass characters who aren't werewolves or kinfolk or mortals i mean someone could be in your pack who potentially could be a ga- uh, a gangrel vampire and i think that's quite an interesting way the game has gone yeah yeah do we use the term kinfolk or is it only only wolf-blooded in uh it's, yeah, wolf-blooded. it's wolf-blooded yeah, that's yeah. one indeed indeed yeah and they've uh wolf-blood have definitely been really expanded as well i believe with uh uh, some of the some of the additional supplements so yeah um the pack is important and in a lot of werewolf games and this doesn't have to be the case but territory is very important um and this can take a, a lot of different forms um you could have you know the kind of territorial zero sum sum game between both your pack other who brought the packs other forsaken packs or pure packs as well uh, who may be, you know, in some sort of a pact or deal with uh, some sort of a malevolent spirit uh, to kind of, you know, have a more wild area in the, as part of the city or something like that. Um, the territory is very important. Uh, First Edition didn't have very good support for it until the Territories source book came out. Um, Chris Allen, uh, 
how, how do you feel the current support is for territories and kind of modeling that in your games in yeah. second edition is that good right um, now i think it's better for because partly because we looked at it from maybe a more foundational level there's yeah. more that can be done uh to it in terms of support certainly but there's plenty in the core to run with it territories is less about uh the importance of territories less about a mechanical unit of like these are the specific things you that are in your territory you know um yeah. and more about so wealth is a game of boundaries and lines uh it's about you know there's the lines between your you and your pack your pack and everyone else your tribe and everyone else it's about the, the line between your territory and what's yours and what isn't and it's about blurring those lines as well so territory is one of the hard lines wells a lot of supernatural powers they have access to key off or relate to that um a lot of um you know that that sort of stuff hangs off that there's gifts that are more powerful if used in your territory the core sacred rights that wells use the, the, to empower themselves rely on these these concepts um but from a purely narrative point of view it's very central in terms of it's not just a bunch of wells it's it's you and other people allied to you and the communities around you in your territory it's about the places that you you as a group have decided to define as yours and uh, this side of the line is under our protection or this side of the line is our hunting ground outside is not so what you often get in games is a lot of interpack conflicts or interactions with getting the territory you want because of the things your characters care about what other packs want where you can come to compromises and obviously the hard lines where you can't wells are naturally quite violent creatures partly because they regenerate from even horrific injuries so it's fairly easy to be that um but it does mean that the the idea of territory the idea of these lines are often drawn in blood because that's a language that all wells can communicate very adeptly in um, and i think the world gives wells the, the game gives wells the tools they need to do that what you're not going to find is a a territory micromanagement system mechanical system it's not going to be in right. there but what the yeah. second ed has done now is anchor packs more conceptually in something more than just the immediate ring of werewolves you know we've expanded the concept i think that gives them a better placing in their territory as well awesome yeah. i like it i like it i think um when you combine it with say a classic book like damnation city then i think you i think the way werewolf is set up and as so long as you get players i think you know, depending upon your group of players, you're either going to be able to, your mileage of this is going to differ. Either you're going to need to string together a stronger plot for them to follow for your chronicle, or if they're quite a proactive group and players who are willing to take risks and, you know, and pay an interest into what their character's doing and what their family are doing and their job, etc, 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 then you mostly you've mostly got a group that you can utilize that that the core concept and it's mostly a bit more towards the sandbox side of things and therefore you can litter within it lots of hooks while also placing within it the seeds of the grander arc that you yeah, want to yeah. explore and I've you really run want a bit of want that before. The characters to interact with the territory in yeah. a way you want the territory to have its own. When I say character, I don't mean a character sheet, or, but being an individual, I mean that sense of character to the place that they have chosen to fight over, essentially, to yeah. claim as theirs. You want it to feel interesting and individual in its own right. Yeah. I mean, that's how I, I've I ran first edition Werewolf. I've not yet run second edition, but I can. I feel there's more support to do what I would have done anyway 
back in the day. Um, right. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to bring up, which was uh, before I guess we get we we wrap up, is the other thing. Which I mean, obviously, there's lots of powers, and you know, your the the core thing is that you your character has a template that you overlay, and that template that you overlay varies because obviously you can change form so you know if you're the if you go into full wolf form you're going to get changes to your stat lines that's going to give you benefits and and so forth or if you're kind of the big garu war form you're going to have um again different benefits and so forth uh i think one things which is is also different in this if you're coming from chronicles of darkness or or vampire the requiem is your humanity morality stat um, is definitely about keeping balance so whereas say in vampire you kind of want to be at like the seven or so point and also as a human you want to keep your integrity high uh in werewolf you don't actually you want to be somewhere in the middle because if you go out of whack on that you're going to lose the you're going to your your internal balance of your wolf spirit and your human side are going to clash against each other and that's not great for you yeah i mean that's partly one of the reasons for that is unlike with a human or most most entities in the setting you know body mind and spirit are different things mm-hmm. that's not so much the case for a werewolf um their spirit and their soul is literally fused into their flesh via the essence that powers them their mind is fused into that they they are much more um embodied i guess if you like in some ways and what this means is if they get out of whack spiritually and with their actions it directly affects their ability to shapeshift for example and things like that because they are fused beings they're mixed at every level um there's no it's a game about lines and it's a game about blurring those lines and werewolves very much blur those lines uh metaphysically so like you say harmony has become much more about balance uh it's much more about being in the middle any either extreme can generally be bad though sometimes they come with their own advantages um and it's one of the more interesting changes I think we made when moving to the second edition was partly the general willingness to play around with these kind of mechanics more in second edition game lines rather than sticking to a single template how it should be. Yeah. Uh, but Wealth was quite an interesting one to do with that idea of, yeah, we, we, we want this to be about balance, we want this to be about harmony, therefore the mechanic actually needs to represent that in some way. It's quite similar to changing the lost second edition as well because that is, again, yeah. you want to be in the middle because if you're too too human, you can't see the innate magic of the world and if you're too towards the 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 weird end of the scale again yes. you're you don't you're you're not even acting in a in a safe what other people consider a sane way with how you mm. interact with the world so um that's always good fun um was there anything else mechanically or interesting systems in second edition i mean i think if i remember rightly unlike say if you play vampire or something else you can you don't have to learn the gifts in a linear in a linear fashion okay. most gifts no there's the different types and one of the categories yeah. does work that way and others don't there's more freeformness partly because when i was writing the gifts second edition um, one of the bugbears i had the first edition was a lot of the gifts were quite um limited or there was this dot is that dot but slightly better mm-hmm. um because of the core concept we had to change how gifts work uh, which is splitting them into powers, which represent different, again, because of the boundaries, there's the boundaries with the wealth that aren't there. There's no boundary between flesh, spirit, and mind. Um, their renown, their spiritual might, 
uh, each of the five categories basically powers different types of facet, so you don't have to take them in order. You can take ones that most strongly resonate with your character's spiritual strength. We don't have to, um, which makes it quite a broad toolbox. As a result, there are a lot of different powers in there. Yeah. And that's that's good fun. I mean, it does mean, again, when we come to, like, say, differentiating a pack that has multiple of the same auspice in there or the lack of a particular auspice, you yeah. can still use that toolbox to get get the specialisms that you require. Yeah. Okay, uh, Mike, I guess we're going to talk quickly about crossover and other yeah. other books that are out there. Yeah, as usual, we're going to we're going to speed through crossover because we're running out of time, but uh, Chronicles of Darkness is an expansive world with uh, 11 major monsters to play as, uh, in addition to mortals. And uh, it's important to remember that uh, Werewolf Forsaken is great by itself, and storytellers uh, never need to add in any other creatures. But, uh, you know, the option is always there, and uh, it can definitely serve to enhance your stories and add a little bit more mystery to your chronicle. So um, a couple of things to highlight. Uh, despite what Beats the Primordial says, we've always theorized here on uh, Darker Days Radio that... Uh, uh, beasts are probably pretty dreadful for the spirit world. You know, they're these creatures that uh, uh, can kind of creep into the nightmares of uh, mortals and in the real world also just completely antagonize them, causing a horrendous amounts of strife um, uh, amongst the world, uh, amongst mortals, and also can result in, uh, you know, causing chaos in the spirit world. So I think that uh, beasts can make wonderful antagonists for, uh, for Werewolf the Forsaken. Um, we also have built into uh, World of Darkness first, uh, Chronicles of Darkness first edition originally was this uh, initial conflict point uh, around a loci, you know, those places of power between mages, werewolves, and also the Ordo Dracul uh, vampires. And, you know, this doesn't mean that they need to fight over them, uh, but it definitely will force a some sort of interaction between these different groups. Um, you could have a kind of like a cairn or, or something like that where all of these three meet up and maybe you do have some actual like you know philosophical interaction uh which could be pretty neat and can also definitely bring in some some interesting politics to the game um so that's really good and then because chris was just talking about changing a little bit um i can see definitely some interesting interactions between the lost and the forsaken you know i can't see the uh the gentry crossing over through the hedge you know we haven't covered uh changeling here yet on on signal black but uh the 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 vile fey gentry coming over or their their huntsmen or privateers that's going to cause a lot of strife and conflict over on this side of the mortal world which i don't think the ratha would be a big fan of and a bunch of ratha changing the games on the huntsmen would be hilarious <laughs> yeah that well would be i mean it's certainly an area where yeah, uh, werewolves are either uh, a changeling's very good friend or worst enemy, depending exactly. on which side of the line they're on. A group exactly. of werewolves who have decided to buddy up with a huntsman because they see a kindred spirit mm. is one of the scariest things oh, a freehold is going to oh. face. Because you Whoa. have a bunch of werewolves who don't care about any of the contracts or any of the arrangements or any of the agreements, but equally, a werewolf pack who have decided this changeling is theirs and no fucking huntsman is going to have them. The huntsman <laughs> is going to face a bunch of metaphysically empowered god killers who are designed yeah. by eldritch abominations to kill entities like it. Um, so that's not a good place for a huntsman to be. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. It's pretty I great. I want to play that one shot now. Dang, dang. That's, we really that's need, I think we really need to play. I think Werewolf is, has a lot. Again, I think 
and again werewolf has a lot of good crossover elements like um you've because i mean also we didn't say with mages you've got the various weird spirits from astral realms the akamoth all of those weird things um yeah coming the, over the inferno or, demons are totally yeah totally we totally use the, the demons from inferno them, but, they're uh, brilliant so um or the um uh, abyssal spirits that come over from mages mu- messing up massively that is a oh, yeah, a massive yeah. horror story because yeah. again for werewolves oh, so you, you've yeah. got a spirit which is not part of this world in any sense it's almost on akin akin to uh an idigum in that sense um perhaps wielding powers that don't even follow the rules that they even understand with idigum um i was going to go with the classic is the god machine you've got infrastructure and the angels um and the god machine is going to change how ley lines and loci are interacting to harvest Mm. essence the very thing that spirits Mm. run off um and that's going to Mm. cause unknown chaos in both the mortal realm with the occult uh, physics going on and the spirit realm as a reflection of that so how werewolves deal with that and eventually go no thanks and face down an angel of the god machine that would be um pretty epic absolutely absolutely yeah a lot of great crossover options and then we also just quickly want to highlight that Oxpath publishing did put out the three uh, dark era source books dark eras one two and the companion which provide quite a few uh, historical crossover settings. Um, and for Werewolf the Forsaken in particular, we have Bowery Dogs, which is set in the 1970s crime wave of New York City, where the only people you can trust is your pack family. We've got Sundered World, which is a Neolithic setting pitting uh, post-fall mages against the Forsaken shortly after uh, Father Wolf is killed. So a lot of interesting action right there. And then uh, Forsaken by Rome is another cool one, which is a werewolf game set during the Roman attempts to conquer Germany. Um, and, you know, I just want to say that I think that uh, I think that werewolf has the strongest historical settings of, of all the uh, stuff in Dark Eras. So definitely some awesome stuff. And some of it yeah. can also interact with, say, um, uh, the, the Rome settings for vampire as well. So you got a lot of extra yeah. support there. I wrote um, uh, Sundered World in the first Dark Eras, and it has some very big, uh, it has some big stuff going on for Mage, metaphysics, history, but it has in some many ways some bigger stuff for Forsaken in there, in terms of stuff that isn't obviously generally relevant to the modern day, but which you can draw on as a source of mysteries and strangeness. There's some big, there's, it doesn't answer all the questions of the setting, but it does reveal, make some big reveals about the origins of werewolves. Uh, about the uh, and about the, some of the origins of some of the more modern institutions, what where they sort of stem from. Um, another one, it also introduces the Pangaeans, which are a new form of kind. Well, not necessarily antagonists, but sometimes. Um, there, I for Dockers two, uh, I worked on the Great War, um, the Western Front yep. one with mm-hmm. Wealth in there, which is fun, and, and also wrote the Hunger in the Black Land, which is uh, Middle Kingdom Egypt set which again has Return of the Pangaean stuff and also does a lot of crossover with werewolves, Prometheans and beasts there as well. Um, it's I think across that and, and across the other um, werewolf settings, like you say, the Rome one in particular, and also I believe uh, sort of Viking era Scandinavia in one of the Wolf and the Raven. Uh, the the dark era's material for werewolf is, very, is mostly very strong and builds a lot 
out from the core set core stuff in the setting and i was very lucky that i was allowed to do both sundered world and hunger in the black land which do a lot with the metaphysics that underpins werewolf um, and some of that was then further developed in one of the supplements for werewolf uh shunned by the moon one of the big the monster book came out which has a whole load of new stuff really that partly spins off of what happens in those but it's for modern games as well um a lot of antagonist material in there cool awesome yeah that sounds great awesome so uh i think that's all we've got to say about werewolf right should we uh, wrap up this episode uh yeah um brilliant so Again, Chris, thanks for um, coming on and chatting about Werewolf from your uh, position of great insight no, into good. into it. Um, it's, it's definitely galvanised me again. I think we need to do a one-shot or something at some point, yeah, at some point Mike. Awesome. It's definitely be, be really good fun. Um, again, if you are watching this, um, the previous episode about Promethean Created is now on is now available as in audio on uh, Darker Days Radio. Uh, podcast so go over to www.darko-days.org to listen to that and all previous episodes of signal black and of course you can find all previous episodes of signal black available on youtube if you want to watch it there uh if you want to get in contact with us you can email us at darkdaysradio at gmail.com you can find us on facebook dark days radio and you can find us on instagram at dark days radio and of course on uh, twitter and as we said on youtube and uh and of course if you want to discuss more you can come over to our discord where you will find various channels devoted to this and other games such as world of darkness and the warhammer rpgs etc 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 um any other final comments mike no uh but uh chris do you have any way that people can get in contact with you yes uh people can find me on twitter at, at acrozatarim uh, I'm also on uh, some of the Discord channels for things like the Onyx Path Discords mm-hmm. um, and round and about in general. All right, excellent. Brilliant. Right, well, I think that's everything for now. So uh, with that, we're going to say goodbye and thank you for watching. So goodbye for now. Yep. Goodbye. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com. Occam's Laser.